Hey everyone, welcome to Past Lives and the Divine. I'm Gina and this is a podcast where we enjoy the delightful, empowering conversation about our connection with our past lives and the divine, the divine out there and the divine inside each and every one of us. And we do this for healing, reaching our full potential, feeling a little bit better, and of course, for a little bit of entertainment because entertainment is like, just makes life a little bit sweeter, right? So in today's episode, episode number 25, oh my gosh, everybody, I am so excited for this episode. I'm talking with Mandy Nankis from the Sense of Soul podcast, and we are talking about her near-death experiences, plural. She's had more than one. So we're going to talk about each one, kind of like who she was before she had it, what happened after she had it, how she's still affected today, and then of course, just like the nitty-gritty details of like what the different near-death experiences were like for her. You're going to love this episode if you're at all interested in the near-death experience. And um, Mandy was just such a great guest. And we just had a really good conversation. I cannot wait for you to hear that. But before we do that, I have an announcement. I have a Getting to Know Your Spirit Guide workshop, and that's coming on September 10th. It'll be 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. That's in the USA. And it lasts two hours. So we'll open it by doing a little invocation for the spirit guides, getting them to really perk up and come to our side, even though they're always there. And then I will talk a little bit about spirit guides, answer any questions that you all have, uh, and just talk about my experience with them, my experience with my guides, my experience firsthand with my clients and what they see with their guides. And it, I would say that has been something that was unexpected when I went into this work of doing past life regression. I, of course, had an interest in spirit guides. I think most people who kind of dabble in this are like, spirit guides? Uh, if, if I got one, I want to know one, right? So I, I would say that was an unexpected little gift of this work is being able to sit front row while people ask their spirit guide questions or while I ask their questions for them. And then they receive those answers in trance. And if you're wondering what I'm talking about, if you go to episode three, Anatomy of a Past Life Regression, I tell you about how spirit guides are incorporated in all of that. But it comes after the past life scenes. And it's so interesting, the, the uniqueness of everyone and their spirit guides, and then also the similarities. It's just, it's been a really cool part of doing this work. And I feel so... <clears throat> excuse me, so honored that I can sit there and get all this information along with my clients and that I'm able to do it on my own. And so I just want to share that with you. Of course, as you know, I don't ever claim to be the capital E expert on anything. So it's really just about giving you the same tools that I use, the same tools that I use when I'm working with my clients to get them to open up that connection and start to get to know their spirit guides so I'll talk about spirit guides, like I just said, answer any questions that you have. We'll set the intention for the hypnotic journey that we're going to take. And we take a hypnotic journey to the garden of the guides, as I like to call it. And um, that's where you can ask questions. You can gain insights, wisdom. Of course, I'll tell you how to prepare for that journey during the workshop. And then once we come back after that, then we'll come together. Again, you'll have a chance to ask questions. Talk about your experience if you want to talk about it or ask questions about your experience. And then I'll talk about how 
how to continue that connection, that openness with your spirit guides. Because here's the thing. A lot of times our first encounter with our spirit guard, with our spirit guides or the first few scenes that we see of a past life, they can be a little bit more fuzzy, hard to get information. And it's only because it's just not something we've ever done before. So if you have little experience or no experience, this workshop is totally for you as well. If you're someone who has had some contact with your spirit guides, but you're looking looking to um, just you know take a group journey and you know the energetics of a group, we tend to go further and faster sometimes. Uh, if we're definitely open to it, you all know you got to be open to this in order for the hypnosis to work. And uh, yeah, and then I will give you tips for how to continue this going forward because you're gonna get more information the more you do it. And everybody's different and every experience is a little bit different, but the general trend is the more you do it, the farther you go, the more information you get about your spirit guides, about the insight and wisdom about your life that your spirit guides would wanna share with you. And uh, so I give you information on how to keep that practice going, a lot of ideas on it, you can take them or leave them. And then you get the downloadable replay link. So you can download it to your computer or wherever and utilize it as much as you want. And registration opened up last week on August 27th. And it first opened up to my people on my email list. So if the 20 spots available fill up, then it will be sold out, but I will do a waiting list if you're interested. So go to pastlivesandthedivine.com and you can hit subscribe or you can click on the Spirit Guide Workshop and you can be on the waiting list if you're interested in learning more about the next time I run it, if it has been sold out already. I'm recording this obviously a few days in advance. Um, so not sure if it'll be full. I anticipate that it will fill up and sell out. So hopefully, but if not, head over there and grab your space or shoot me an email and I can let you know if it's open or closed. Either way, I would love to see you there. Okay, and then last before we dive in, it is my regular call out beg for ratings and reviews. So this would be if you could get to apple.com and find my podcast, Past Lives and the Divine, or if you're listening on Apple Podcast. Please find my podcast, Past Lives and the Divine. Scroll down, click five stars, write a review if you're feeling moved to. Either way, I am so thankful for the time that you're putting into it. It's just a matter of seconds and it means the world to me. And it's really just a way for the Apple people at Apple to say, hey, people like this podcast. Maybe other people will like this podcast. So then when they're listening to similar podcasts, it'll show up as a, hey, you might also like this. And then, you know what, everybody? Then it's a way that we can meet friends that we haven't even met yet. So I appreciate that. So the most recent podcast review is from T-E-T-A Always. I don't know how to say that, so I'm just going to spell it. And they say, generous soul. Gina's generosity and care shine through in her podcast. Her guided wisdom is a light at a very difficult time in my life. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. That warms my heart because, of course, this stuff like lights me up, especially on the shittiest of days. And so I hate that that's happening to someone else, but that just makes me so happy that this is a bright spot for you, too. It's really a bright spot for me and everybody I get to meet through it and 
all the great conversations that we have during the podcast, like this interview, but also after it, when you guys tell me how you feel about it. And then one more, Marjanu says, love it. My favorite part of the day is nighttime when I disconnect from everything except my earbuds in this podcast. I don't mind listening over and over to the same episodes each time I learn something new and different. I agree. It's so cool because when I would do my past life regressions as the client, of course, I would like learn so much, be able to release so much. But what I've found is these episodes where I take a previous past life regression that I did as the client and share it with you all, I always, you know this because I'm always talking about it, but I always learn new things and see it from a different vantage point. And it really makes me um, encourage my clients when I send notes from our past life regression and the recording from a past life regression, I always, always, always tell them like, come back in a month, come back in two months or shit. If you forget about it, come back in a year, but come back, at least look at the notes, maybe listen to the recording because when we do that, it's like we're reopening that channel, re-strengthening that connection to that past life, to those memories. And we can gain new insights and wisdom without having to do a hypnosis session, which is like, you know, just more bang for your money, right? Okay, probably the longest intro I've ever done, but it needed it. This is such a good interview. Okay, so like I said, coming up in just a few seconds is my interview with Mandy Nankis of the Sense of Soul podcast. Mandy is, like I said, the host of the Sense of Soul podcast, along with her friend Shanna. She is a mobile boutique owner, which I would love to go see. She's located in Colorado. She is a meditation instructor, a Reiki level two practitioner, certified, and she's also certified in addiction counseling. She says that her near-death experiences left her feeling different, different in a good way, different in bad ways. And the good was like a connection to God, the universe, to the birds, to nature, to herself, to life. And the bad was the disconnect that she felt with others and society and just a general happiness afterwards. So she and I talk about these changes, who she was before, how she is after, and I think you're really gonna enjoy hearing about her journey. I know I certainly did. So let's get started, gather around the fire for my interview with Mandy Namkiss. Oh, everybody, I am so excited for this podcast episode. You guys are going to love it. So we're talking to Mandy from Sense of Soul podcast, and I am not even sure how I found your podcast. I'd imagine I was like checking something about my podcast, and then you know how you scroll down and it's like, try these podcasts that are similar, and for whatever reason, your logo just spoke to me, and then I was like, I could sit down and have a conversation with these chicks. (laughs) (laughs) And we have a few times since then. And what I really like about you and your partner, Shanna, is how you're just like, this is my experience. And you're just out and open about it. Because as someone who like struggles with that, I struggle being out and open without being like, are people going to think I'm nuts? Um, And so I just really appreciate that. And just how you are both just like, I don't know, let's just see where it goes. You know, it's, it's just, I, I feel that in me. So it was like a kindred spirit. So I was so excited. And then when I was binging through your past episodes, I was like, 
holy shit, Mandy has had a near-death experience. Like, I need to talk to this woman. And so um, at the same time, I was doing a survey of my listeners being like, what do you want? Like questions you have for me or like podcast episodes that you're interested in. And a handful of people were like near-death experiences. How does this relate? What does it mean? And I was just like, oh my God, I have the perfect (laughs) match. (laughs) (laughs) So, so excited. Welcome Mandy officially. And let's just start with like a little high level bio background. I gave your um, bio in the intro, but just kind of like from your point of view, just a little high level. So born and raised in Aurora, Colorado, come from a wonderful family. I um, struggled with addiction my whole life. So that's a huge part of my story is that I'm in recovery. I'll have 10 years in November. I have Thank you. I had my first near-death experience when I was 18. And then I had actually another one that I don't remember at all. And then I had my third one in 2013. And I had another one in 2016 in a past life regression. Oh, yeah. So I'm a mother of uh, three beautiful children. I you know, my podcast is about turning pain into purpose. And I have to say that those two topics that I just mentioned are probably um, the two driving forces to my purpose. And that is sharing my pain and helping people turn their pain into purpose like I did. I love that. I love that so much because, well, the way you put it is so clean and simple. And I just love it when people have the ability to like make their thoughts clean and simple like you just did something I struggle with but uh, I work really hard on it so thanks for being a leader there and I just to me that helps like with difficult times like when I'm in the middle of a shit storm or like a phase where my ego or my conscious mind is like it's gonna be like this forever this is awful but I just try to be like you know like who do I want to be because of this or and I just love that like the turning pain into purpose is just like, and I would say, yeah, that's like exactly what I get from your podcast. And it's one of the reasons why I love it. Cause I'm on that path too. Okay. Yeah. You, I can't take credit for the simplicity because, um, AA taught me this acronym, which I'm all about those, uh, kiss. So it's keep it, uh, simple, silly. So I always have to remember that, you know, just keep it. Yeah. So I always remember kiss. Um, But as far as turning the pain into purpose, you know, you're right. I have always been a very uh, vulnerable vulnerable person. Um, I truly believe through my addiction, that was the gift I got. That if I didn't share and I kept it all to myself, then I wasn't going to be able to reach and help other people. Oh, wow. Wow. I love that. Okay, Mandy, let's get into these near-death experiences. Right. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to ask you, like, I'm sure you've told this story a thousand times, but like, if you've had multiple near-death experiences, like, you tell us the story, like, you tell us what feels natural. Where do you want to start the story? Is it with the first one? You dive in. I've got questions about it, so we'll just kind of like dialogue back and forth. Perfect. You know, I do kind of have to go step by step because it's it's the full story is what I like to share because all of it has such deep meaning Um, you know for starters I was 18 years old 
I was in all ego. I was all about my looks. I was in an abusive relationship at the time with a, a boyfriend. I was running myself ragged going to college um, full-time and waitressing because I wanted more money, money, money. Mm -hmm. I was just, um, you know, careless, never really slowing down, not present. And there was a complete lack of self-care. So, and that's important to set the stage because I do believe that those things were what kind of led me to being sick. And the, the day that I had my first, first near-death experience, I was very stressed out. My uh, boyfriend at the time was traveling and I was taking care of his dog and I ultimately had a severe asthma attack. So I'll, I'll just kind of set the stage. I walked in my mom's house from being at the park. I went upstairs. I started feeling really, really hot. Um, my vision went. And I remember like reaching for the walls, trying to find the mirror because I couldn't see myself. I wanted, to, I wanted to see myself. And I remember frantically screaming for my mother. And she came running upstairs. And the last thing I remember was telling my mom I was sorry for the way I'd been treating her because I wasn't abiding by her curfew. I was doing whatever I wanted. It was Mandy's way or the highway. And I said, mom, I'm so sorry. And I want you to know I love you. And that's the last thing I remember. And I fell on the bathroom floor and I had a seizure. My throat completely closed up. My father came up and called 911. And Station six, and that's important to remember the six, station six showed up eight minutes later and my mom was giving me CPR the entire time. And I have no recollection of any of that. Um, they had to drag me down the stairs by my feet and put me in the living room floor. They intubated me. They were, you know, I had, I had no pulse. I wasn't breathing. I was, you know, white as a ghost, blue lips, my mom said. I don't remember any of that. The, what I do remember is I was on the gurney being taken down the front sidewalk of the house. And at this point I was outside of my body. So I could see the neighbors standing on the sidewalk with curiosity, wondering what was going on because of the fire trucks. I could see kids standing off to the left. But what's really important to mention is I could also see what inside of the home. So I could see my grandmother sitting on the couch with her hands like this on her head. Wow. I could see inside of the ambulance and them preparing the space. I could see infinite in the sky, but I was looking down on myself. And at this point, I started saying, no, it's, it, this isn't the time. And my mind, at this point, I believe it was my mind was telling me, a list of all the people I needed to live for. And it was coming fast. And it was just a list of like your mom, your dad, your brother. They, it even, my mind even mentioned my boyfriend at the time, which I thought was bizarre. It, uh, you know, it would just was going through the list of all of these people like super, super fast. And at this point, I didn't feel any emotions. I didn't feel any fear. I just felt and knew it wasn't my time. And the next thing I know, it was very short lived. I was back in my body and it wasn't like this jolt like you see in movies. It was just simply that my, my soul was back into my body.
And I, I woke up the next day. I freaked out. I was, you know, handcuffed down, like tied to the bed because um, they didn't want me to pull out the life support, which I did. <laughs> and, um, and that was like pretty much the, the gist of that near-death experience. That one. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay. So did you remember being out of your body immediately? Like when you were handcuffed to the bed the next day, mm -hmm. were you conscious of the fact like, oh, I was out of my body yesterday? Or is it a memory that came to you days, weeks later? Or is it like you thought it was a dream and now you think of it differently? So, you know, a lot of times people that have not experienced near death will ask if it was a dream and there's such a like difference. Okay. You, I, it's like, you just know it was not a dream. You, it, and I could never been able to find words to explain that. Yeah. But just know that it is what happened and that you were outside your body. No, I did not think about it when I first woke up because at that age, I was still so into ego that I was just like, get me out of here. I feel fine. Like, let's go okay. home. But when I got to my parents' house, I was very weak. I remember sleeping for a long time. And then I remember there was a shift that happened. I put a blanket out in their backyard and I went out and their backyard has always brought a lot of peace to me, but I just never took the time to really absorb it. Well, this time I didn't have a choice. It was like the swaying of the leaves for the first time felt like they were part of me. The colors were more vibrant. I remember laying on this blanket in their backyard and looking up for the first time ever in my life and thinking, I am part of all of this. And, you know, I was brought up atheist. I, you okay. know, I not taught anything about religion. I don't even know that I knew what Christmas meant uh, truly or Easter. Hmm. Just kind of let us find our own path. So I just remember having this deep feeling of oneness. So when you were in the backyard with that deep feeling of oneness, what, how long was that after the near death experience when you were 18? 18 it was, it was less than 24 hours. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I had the near death experience, went to the hospital, was, uh, I, I mean, I'm not even kidding you. I ripped the thing out of my throat. I was intubated. I ripped it out and I said, I want to go home. And they were freaking out and they're like, oh my God, she's actually breathing really well on her own. And I was home within 24 hours of all of that happening to me. Okay. Wow. Right. Yeah. What do you attribute that shift to? Um, I mean, obviously like the out of body experience, but like, uh, Mandy today, like everything, you know, what do you attribute that shift of like, you have this out of body experience you're young, your ego is like, get me the fuck out of this hospital. But then you're like captivated in the backyard in a way that you've never been before. Like it's similar, peaceful, but it captivates you to actually like, like listen and, and look and appreciate it. Like what do you today, looking back on that, attribute that to? 
Oh gosh, I wish I could tell you that at that point in my life it attributed to great things, but unfortunately, what I think it attributed it to was this shift of me feeling different than I'd ever felt and I didn't know how to wrap my head around it. So it actually, I think, plummeted me more into my ego and addiction. It scared me. It was unknown to me. And I felt so different after this experience and it didn't feel natural to me. And I was so young. I didn't even know how to wrap my head around it that I wanted to be normal again. So I started just trying to really find that normalcy. I started trying to get back into my normal routine and I really took it for granted. I, you know, I knew that was the first time I ever in my life that I knew there was something bigger than me out there. That's what I can attribute to. But unfortunately, being the stubborn ass Taurus that I am, <laughs> I was like, oh, you want to strike me dead? Okay, well, no biggie. I'm going to go right back to my normal life and start beer bonging and, you know, partying every night and take it for granted. I wanted to feel normal. Okay, so that reminds me of, I have had what I would call out-of-body experiences, but they're always hypnosis related at this point in my life. But I, one time, this was so many years ago, and it wasn't a past life regression, but I was working with this man named Eric, Eric Christopher. He does past life regressions, life between life stuff. He's in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I was working on this emotion, like someone was igniting this emotion within me and I just like couldn't get past it right and so I went there as I do when I'm like I, don't, I can't logic my way through this one and mm -hmm. I he would like have this technique of like dropping me through different emotions and colors I don't know I wish I could remember it better but what I do remember was at the end I spontaneously and he knew this was going to happen but I didn't know it was going to happen then eventually you drop through so many emotions that you get to like your soul and collective consciousness, Christ consciousness, universal consciousness, kind of like that over soul that is everybody. And I, and it was just this overwhelming feeling of like freedom, but comfort and support and just mm -hmm. really good. And the fucking weirdest thing. And I was like, whoa, that was amazing. Da, 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 da. Um, but then like three days later, I got on an airplane. Uh -huh. and you know how when you look at someone and you're like, I know you from somewhere. Uh -huh. I'm not kidding you. Every person I looked at on that airplane was like, I know you. And I was like, it's because I was swimming around in that collective consciousness. And I like kind of was closer to everyone. Just like you said, you felt like you were one with the leaves and the, mm -hmm. and the grass and the flowers and all of that. It's yes. odd feeling, but yeah, it's like hits you wherever truth hits you. Like, and it's just like, this is a thing, whether I know what to do with it or not. And yeah. And you know, I, I used to kick myself in the butt for, for not embracing it and, and not putting more thought into it. But I had a lot of fear at that point in my life. Uh, so fear, I think, had me turn my back on it. It was easier just to forget it. You know, it was, it was just too much for me at that age. And quite frankly, my soul was not ready to evolve and my lessons were not over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So but, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but I definitely, the feeling of oneness continued. 
uh, it, it continued, but I kept trying to drink it away. Yeah. I, I like it. It was, it was so awkward. I didn't want to feel how the trees felt. Yeah. I didn't want to feel how earth felt. I didn't, I didn't want to become like this weird hippie. I wanted to be like this popular <laughs> egotistical heel clicking hottie <laughs> bartender. <laughs> At that age. <laughs> you know, I was just so stuck in this material world that anything outside of that was terrifying to me. Yeah. Yeah. So let's fast forward. So then to the second. Well, I think it's also important to say that um, I went back to that fire station when yeah. and thanked them and I brought them a box of steaks from a local butcher and I walked in wow. and I saw familiar faces. I had known that my, one of my very best friend's uncle was on the scene. So when I saw him, you know, it was, it wasn't very scary. I was, cause I knew him and I'm like, hi. And, and I thanked them and I got to sit with him because I knew him and talk about what he saw. And he was like, girl, you were dead. You were gone. And so to hear it from him and just how bad it was when they got there was like, holy shit. Now I know why I, I was floating outside of myself. I was truly on my way out of this world. So it kind of validated everything that I'd gone through, being able to sit down and hear it from him, his side and medically what had happened. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I met another gentleman by the name of John Woodruff, and he was the engineer on the fire truck. And uh, we became friends. And shortly after, my parents, because they acted so fastly, and ultimately they're the ones that saved my life. They, my mom lost my heartbeat, my pulse, but then she brought me back. So if she wouldn't have kept me going, I probably, it's shocking I don't have brain damage. I'm sure my husband would argue that, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I went a long time without air. So. Uh, long story short, John and I became friends. They asked my parents to come to this ceremony that they hosted to give an award to my parents for their bravery and for fast, you know, working fast. And the 911 uh, call was replayed and I got to go up on stage and I have a picture with all these amazing humans and um, I built a relationship with them. And I still talk to them. There, there's three of them that I still, t you know, talk to. And um, so that was a beautiful piece to the story, too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So fast forward, um, you know, same crazy lifestyle, uh, drugs, rock and roll, lots of Metallica concerts, lots of beer bonging, <laughs> tequila, um, you know, I was living life, uh, waitressing, bartending, and uh, somehow getting good grades at, in college. I was a communications major and minored in psychology, but having no fucking clue what my purpose was. And um, unfortunately, during this period, reckless period of my life, I was really fighting uh, addiction and self-love. So I got to the point of such self-hatred that I wanted to die. Um, I was no longer afraid of death. So to, to kill myself seems like a beautiful option because I had an outer body experience and it wasn't painful and there was nothing to fear. 
Um, so why not? You know, I, I mean, I was just so much self-hate and the, the bottle had such a grip on my soul. It was like, if I picked up, I could not put down. The physical addiction was like the devil just gripping my, my body. I, I say devil, I don't believe in devil, but so I, I'll take that word back. Um, it was the, the addiction had my soul and the bottle always won, no matter how much I loved my children, my life, my mother, and then guilt too, because you're like, oh my God, you got a second chance at life and you didn't do shit with it. And this is what you became. And I didn't know at the time what the lesson in these two huge events were, but I do know it landed me again in the hospital and I blew a 0.57. Most people that even blow a 0.40 are in a coma. Yeah. And they had to resuscitate me. Now, I was in a complete blackout, and I remember absolutely nothing about this near-death experience. Um, obviously, it has to do with a lot of the pills that I was taking and the alcohol that I had consumed. Um, but, you know, you have to talk about that, unfortunately. And I almost succeeded. Uh, it's, it literally breaks my heart. I want to go back and just hug that girl because it was the hardest battle I've ever fought in my life. I mean, alcoholism or any sort of addiction, it's so hard to explain to people just how bad it's like you're handcuffed to it. Yeah. And you want out so bad, but you can't because your body is so physically sick and addicted. And the withdrawals are so terrifying, like more terrifying than anything you could ever imagine. The anxiety, your eyeballs popping out of your head, the um, sweats, like you feel like you're going to die. And, and then you add self-hate into that and it's like the perfect hell. Yeah. 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 So, you know, there again, God was like, God damn, this chick is stubborn. <laughs> uh, would you please turn to me? And I was like, nah, I'm good. I still got a little bit more left in me. <laughs> you know, he's like, fine. So I used to go into Alcoholics Anonymous and listen to these assholes say they were grateful alcoholics and I wanted to punch them in the face because I'm like, grateful? Are you freaking kidding me? What are you grateful for? But I finally got it. I got out of my own way. I did the 12 steps. I did the work. I finally set my ego aside, threw up my hands, surrendered and said, fine, I'll listen to all of you crazy people. And after you know, many numerous trips to rehab, after my husband had to take my children away from me, which I'm so grateful for, after my friends and family turned their backs on me and quit enabling me, I finally surrendered. And it was hard, but it was the best thing that I have ever, ever, ever done for myself. And I can say today that I am a grateful alcoholic. And when I got into the rooms of AA, that's when I finally started reflecting on that first near-death experience and going, okay, all right, what was it really about? And now let's look at it and let's connect to that oneness. Now that I know there's something bigger than me, 
because yeah. in the rooms they teach you about a higher power. And I didn't know what that looked like for me. And I didn't think I was worthy of the universe or the source or God or whatever people want to call it. It's love. Mm -hmm. But I knew that if I didn't do what they asked me to do, I might go back out and I would die and never see my kids again. So okay. I just surrendered. And I reflected on that oneness and I made that experience and that one swaying leaf in that tree, that oneness, I made that my higher power to get me through. Wow. What do yeah. you call that today? Like when you're just at home or with yourself or with your close friends, like, do you call it God, universe, source, creator, goddess? God, but I will tell you what, that God was in a box at that point. That God was in this box that society and the world had taught me at that point what my higher power looked like. And then, you know, you get to my third near-death experience, and that's when that box was blown into a bunch of big fucking pieces that shattered all over. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, so what was, paint the, uh, the timeline for me of like, at what age did you have your second near-death experience, but you didn't, that was the one you didn't remember? How old were you at that time? Okay, so I was like 32. You were 32. Okay. And then now go to the next near-death experience that you had. Um, so that was 2013. Okay. So, um, oh my God, how old was I in 2013? 30, 36. Okay. Yeah. Well, no. I can't do math. Too math. <laughs> Tell me how old I was. I don't know. Whatever. 2013, how old was I? I don't know. This will be the golden question for the listeners. If you figure it out, let us know. <laughs> That's our engagement question for this podcast. Comment <laughs> 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 and let us know. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, this is what's important, is that it was exactly 18 years apart. So from my very first near-death experience was six, 18 years later, same month, it happened again. Okay. Okay. So tell this story. It's just synchronistic. Okay. So, well, stubborn Mandy, who didn't have enough wake-up calls and who always overthinks uh, things and gets in her own way, went back to the fast-paced lifestyle. I was not drinking, but I filled it. I filled this void in my soul with just keeping busy. So I was really lacking self-care again. I was working at Children's Hospital with children that were literally dying in my lap. Mm -hmm. I was uh, a para for a teacher there. Um, very stressful job. I was running a multi-level marketing team and we were kicking ass. Wow. And I was trying to, again, ignore and push out that oneness. It was, it was like I was still missing this hole in my soul, but I still had never found my connection to God. I was told to go to church. I was told to read the Bible. I was told where God was, but I had not built a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so my busy life and also I still lacked some self-love. I didn't think I was enough. I didn't think being a mom was enough. I didn't think just being a para at a hospital was enough. 
So here I am trying to juggle these jobs, still trying to find my purpose, being a stay-at-home mom, have a traveling husband, and still have never really actually sat with what I'd really been through in all those years. So self-care on top of exposing myself to a lot of things that day that I was allergic to. And I would really like to say this really fast. If you have asthma, don't ever, ever let a doctor tell you that you outgrow it because you don't. And for your listeners, I also want to tell you that if you have a child that's asthmatic or you are, do not let your primary treat you. See an asthma specialist because I didn't do those two things. And people don't realize how many people die every year of asthma. So I just wanted to add that in. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for doing that because uh, yeah. it's huge. Um, so I was busy that day, worked all night um, with the MLM and decided to go upstairs and braid my daughter's hair. And that was the last thing I remember. I apparently woke up at three o'clock in the morning and looked at my husband and told him, I can't breathe. And he said, okay, calm down. You're hyperventilating. I don't remember any of this. Apparently I went into the guest bedroom, plugged in my nebulizer, started screaming, telling him I couldn't breathe. And I knew it was happening again because I got the hot sweats. He said I was complaining I was hot and he called 911 and the fire department got there in like insanely fast time, three minutes. They got to the scene. I was as gone as gone can get. Um, and they took me immediately to the hospital and I was in a coma for nine days. I have to tell you that my body was in rigor mortis. So my hands, my feet, my body was dying. Uh, they brought in my husband and my children to say goodbye to me. My organs were failing. I had a main line in my neck to my heart. And they said they had tried everything they possibly could, but that they needed to prepare to say goodbye to me. Wow. Yeah. After how many days did they say that? How many days of the coma? So that was day... That was day seven. Okay. Okay. But here's the story there is that I am 99.9%. .9 actually, no, I'm not. I'm a hundred percent positive. That's, yeah, take the, that. that's the day that Mandy went on a little vacation. <laughs> and so it's important to also tell people that while I was in the coma, I could hear people in the room talking. Sometimes I would be going in and out of consciousness, uh, and I also think that when your physical body is in that much stress, that you have the ability to actually, your soul can leave your body to protect you. That was actually a question that I had, and I'm just going to insert it here just for a second. And you answered it, but this thought of like, sometimes when I, when I think of like really why I believe what I believe spiritually, it's really in avoidance of pain or reconciling like all the fucking horrible things that go on on earth. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that brings me great comfort is that that idea of like when things are horrific physically for us, we mm -hmm. can like leave our body. Now I know that in certain situations that can become problematic, 
Um, but in a sense where it's like, just kind of like a one-time thing and it's a safety measure that, you know, is, you know, it's not good to always be leaving your body, but in that instance, it can give me, and I think a lot of other people, great peace and knowing like if someone has a tragic death or when I see like an animal that's gotten hit by a car or something like that, I'm like, okay, if it wasn't a swift death, their soul was out of their body. Do you... Mm -hmm. Did you feel that way before or was that something that you were like, yeah, I experienced that when you were, when that idea was presented to you, whether you read it or heard someone talking about it? I had never put any thought into that, but I experienced okay. it. I yeah. experienced it all, every single time. Uh, and I experienced it on another level too, is within my recovery, we're so we're so guarded and we're so protected that everything you go through isn't even revealed to you like all in one because that would be to be too much right like yeah. if it revealed to me what happened that night yeah so actually it was like slowly memories would be released to me when i was ready for them about that night and about what had actually happened during the trauma of actually not being able to breathe and my husband coming into the room. Like, for example, I was walking up the hall in that house and I stopped in my footsteps and I felt this crazy energy coming from this electrical, you know, uh, box on the wall. And I'm like, Kurt, what happened right here? What happened right here? And I stood there and my daughter said, mommy, that's where you put your nebulizer in because you thought it wasn't working. So I was frantically apparently running around just trying all different kinds of plugs. Wow. Right in that moment, the memory came back and I saw myself and I saw my children standing there. And so we're not only protected when something really horrible happens. I mean, I think I thought the same, same thing as you. I, I was like, please tell me that my brother that was killed in Iraq, he was shot in his neck by a sniper in 2007. Please tell me that he wasn't sitting there like knowing that he wasn't going to be going home in three hours to see his daughter be born. Yeah. Please. You yeah. know, and when I had this experience, I knew he didn't yeah. because you're so far outside of yourself at that point and you're so protected and guarded with angels and love and guides that you don't even feel any sorrow or sadness or pain or anything at all. Yeah, I, that brings me such peace knowing mm -hmm. that. Um, and even for me, I don't fear death, just the experiences I've had with hypnosis and past life regression and out of body experiences, it's always incredibly pleasant. It's mm -hmm. the few moments before my soul leaves my body that I'm terrified for, <laughs> like, yeah. unless yeah. I'm sleeping. But when I found out, like when it's, when I realized or heard from other people or read certain things about people's experiences like yours, mm -hmm. it was like, oh, okay. So if it's too much, the soul comes out of the body. And Absolutely. then, like you said, and then that's when you don't remember things right away. And that's yeah. okay. 
So absolutely. Cause let me just take it up a notch too. Like if you think about it, the, the therapy that I had to do for trauma for my near death experiences weren't like the actual, like the seizure or weren't the actual like intubating me. It was for like that it was raining that day. So the muscle memory remembered rain and correlated rain with asthma. So, and then it was um, the heat that I felt beforehand. So whenever I have a hot flash or something, my brain goes, Oh, you're going to have another asthma attack. So we're not talking like this deep pain. I don't remember any of that. I don't remember the seizure. I don't remember feeling it. Like, it's almost like you've never, you've never given birth, but when you give birth, oh. fucking hard. I, I, I'd imagine. <laughs> you don't remember it because you're protected. Like you're in the moment, even the, even when you're giving birth, you're protected. And the second you hold that baby, it's anything you felt is forever gone and erased from your mind as far as pain goes. It's the yeah. same live through something like this. Yes. I've never thought of it on that end. Yeah. That was really cool. Okay. Yeah. So before we get into like where Mandy went when she went on this trip on possibly day seven of the coma, there was some synchronicity between who helped you in your first near-death experience and 18 years later in this one that we're on right yeah. now. What was that? So when I got out of the hospital from, from this near-death experience, I went to station 13. So they're the ones that came and saved me this time. And when I walked in, I just did the same thing. I handed them a box of butchered steaks from the local, you know, store and thanked them. And, you know, I have to say this, that if you have never thanked firemen or police officers that have helped you do it because these firemen were so grateful. They're like, we never ever get thank yous. And that, yeah. And that's why this gentleman stood there. He went completely white. He, he kind of turned around. He looked really emotional and he said, I remember you, this happened before, didn't it? And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, we don't get a lot of thank yous. And I remember years ago, there was a woman who came into my dad's station and gave my dad a box of steaks to happen. And I said, yeah, it did in, in 1994. And he, he goes, I'm John Woodruff Jr. So his dad, John Woodruff Sr. saved me the first time and he saved wow. me the second time, 18 years apart. I'd moved five different states. I moved to Arizona, Arkansas. I lived in a different part of Colorado. Like what are the odds, right? Oh my we, God, yeah. We hugged, we cried, um, we had chills, we were shaking, and we've built a beautiful relationship since. Um, so six saved me the first time, 13 saved me the second time, and I woke up from my coma on 6 13 13. Oh, whoa. Yeah. yeah. I just got like full body chills. Wow. And yeah. And so John Woodruff Sr. had passed away a few years after he saved me in 1994. He died of a heart attack. And um, now I have a picture of John Woodruff Sr. and I on a stage getting an award. And I have a picture of John Woodruff Jr. and I on stage getting an award. And my little girl is, her middle name is after him. That is really cool. Yeah. Really cool. I love that. He's sole family. Um, and, you know, it goes a little bit deeper than that. After uh, this last near-death experience, one of the gifts that I tapped into, or I don't like calling them gifts, uh, I call them abilities. But 
after I had this experience a few years later, I started getting messages from his father and I got to tap into the spiritual world. And now I, I consider, you know, myself medium. I don't know that I like that word. Um, but I, get messages from him all the time and it was terrifying at first because i was like wait you want me to go tell your son that you want your antique orange <laughs> classic car um, given to your grandson wait what so my very first experience i it was always at three in the morning i woke up and i was like oh my god i have got to give it to him if i don't i'm doing a disservice to the world yeah, I, my purpose is to be a messenger. So I was too scared to call John. I called his wife and I'm like, Jamie, um, John senior came to me and told me to tell you to give the classic car to John Woodruff the third for graduation. So John being the funny man, he is, he calls me and he goes, you can tell my dad to fuck off. I'm not giving the car away. <laughs> And he sent me a picture of his dad's classic orange car. I never knew about this car. Wow. So my first experience. And, you know, there's a reason we crossed paths. And the news did a beautiful story about us because John believes that his father and him worked together that night. His dream was always to work with his father and follow, he followed in his father's footsteps. They both were engineers. And that night he got to run on me 18 years later that his father did. And he thinks his father was with him that night. Oh, yeah. I love that. Wow. And, and he's like a brother to me. You know, he, he, him and I have this crazy, crazy bond. And whenever I'm feeling down, I'll just go drive to the local grocery store one day. And I was feeling down. I see 13 station 13. I run into him whenever I just need a little sign of hope. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. That is really cool. Yeah. Okay. So let's dive into it. Let's dive into uh, where you went. <laughs> to the good shit. <laughs> okay. So I could hear people talking and I want to say that again, because if you have a loved one that's ever in a coma, you know what, talk to them with amazing love and affirmations and touch them and br bring stuff around them that they love whether it's scents or flowers or an animal or because um, I believe that what brought me back was my husband and my family finally let my kids come in and they hadn't previous to this day because they were afraid that it was too much for them to see me hooked up to so many machines. Or, yeah. But I could hear my parents talking. I can remember my ego kicking in, worrying about my looks, like my hair. I had this massive knot in the back of my head from being in a coma against the bed. And I remember, so, you know, it's important for people to know if you have a loved one in that situation, we can hear you talking about us sometimes. So like my mom and my dad and my husband were making jokes about my hair. I could hear you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. My mom growing up, she always worked in a nursing home and she would say that, that the last, oftentimes like the last sense to go is hearing. And so always yeah. like being positive, yeah. letting them know what's going on. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so you're affirming that. I love that. Yeah. So, um, and I always get emotional when I talk about this, but I, went, 
somewhere. There was no tunnel. There was no wormhole. There was no light. I was just immediately there. Okay. There, I don't, maybe I don't remember that part, but I just remember standing there and being presented with my brother in his desert uniform outfit. And he was flawless. His skin, everything about him was like as flawless and as beautiful as you could ever imagine. And he was so handsome. And he had gold little like squares around his head, like floating around him, like copper, not gold, copper. And I've looked into that, but you know, that's just, that's just what I saw. And I didn't feel scared. I didn't feel sad. I didn't feel anything except for just love. Yeah. And I hate people that have had near death experiences hate talking like about them because they feel like the words in our dictionary don't give it justice. I believe it. I believe you know? it. Yeah. Can't explain it with the right words. You go through an entire, you know, dictionary and you just can never find words to describe it. Mm -hmm. But I had no ego. I was all soul. He was presented to me in the physical form. And I believe that was because then I was comforted by that and I knew who he was, but then it it, it went away. Mm -hmm. Our souls talking. And you know, it's the whole telepathic communication. And he told me he loved me and he told me it wasn't my time. And he said, you, you can't be here. And I said, I don't want to leave. I'm tired. And at this point I hadn't been, I wasn't looking anywhere else. It was just us. And like, you know, when you meet someone and you connect in that bubble yeah, and there's nothing else around you, mm -hmm. that was him and I, we were like one together, but our souls were communicating. And he said, your son, Connor, needs you. And he knew my son. He loved my son. My son used to sleep on his chest and he used to take care of him when I went out to college, when I went out to college. So he knew him. He, he didn't know my other children, but he said, Connor needs you. And I said, I don't want to go. I want to be here. And that's when I remember looking around and he kind of went away and there was five women of all different ages in these white, beautiful dresses. And all of a sudden I was standing on top of what was like a small hill that was within a forest. And these trees were very thin. They were almost like aspen trees. So I could see through them. And these women walked up this path to the top of the hill. They never said a word. One was like a younger child, like eight or nine. One was in her twenties. One was in her like 40s, one was in her 60s, and one was like an elderly woman. And it was like the most graceful greeting I, you can imagine with no words. It was like them saying, welcome, we love you, we're here. And yeah, it, it was like pure bliss. And then it, it was like, everything opened up and I saw color that can't even be described because it's so vibrant. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw waterfalls and I saw, and I wasn't flying. It was that same 
infinite vision that I had in my outer body experience. Mm. Mm. So people say all the time, like when a spirit comes to you, are they just sitting next to you? Yeah, they might be right here next to me right now. My brother might be, but he could also be in Canada right now. Like it, that's, that sounds really stupid, but do you know what I mean? Like they're, you're infinite, your energy, you are everywhere all yeah. the time, anytime, always. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it makes sense to me because like growing up Catholic, they would call that omnipresent. God is omnipresent. And if we are all part of God and that's where we come from and that's where we go back, like, of course we have that ability, maybe not on earth, but like, of course, in the spectrum of like heaven or astral plane or whatever you call it. Yeah. 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 Oh. So from there, you know, obviously a lot of just observing. There was no time. I couldn't tell you if I was there for five minutes, 20 minutes, five days. There's just no time. There's, there's no ego at all. I wasn't thinking about leaving earth. I didn't think about the fact I missed my children. I didn't have any fear like, oh my God, I got to get back. I didn't feel sad. I wasn't mourning what I had left behind. I was just in pure love. And so my brother, oh, and I saw a man in the distance and he had his back to me and I, I wrote about it and you know, I'm kind of funny, but this is truly what I saw. He was freaking hot. He had like this chiseled back and like he was super muscular. <laughs> he was super sexy and he was holding a, a, a staff. <laughs> And for some reason, he wouldn't turn around and look at me. He just was like standing off in the distance with his staff, you know, just like, like he was, you know, looking out into the universe and he was there the whole time. Like his presence was there. And, you know, I, I told a lot of people that my ego wants to say it was Jesus, but I don't know. I don't know for a hundred percent. I never saw his face. I just know he was super tan and hot. <laughs> I forgot about Jesus. <laughs> so, uh, and then, you know, I saw my grandfather, which is really odd because I didn't have a wonderful, I didn't have a bad relationship with him. I just wasn't really close with him. He, he was an alcoholic as well, but he was wearing the hat that he was, he was buried in. And wow. It, and again, it, they just, I, they present themselves in physical form so that you're not scared and you're comforted and you know who they are. And then that goes away and it's just your souls. But him and I didn't talk. So the next thing that I remember is being escorted back by this beautiful young, I call her an angel, but she was this young Asian girl who was wearing a long navy blue dress. She was flawless as well. And she came back to earth with me. She, she brought me home. And it was shortly after my brother reminded me again that Connor was going to need me. And that's when I just knew I had to come back. And it was, it was almost like a choice. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And oh, yeah. go ahead. no, go ahead. My question was, do you get the sense when you were, I think this might be just me, my like past life regression mind, but like, as you were in, what do you call that other side? Do you call it heaven? Or do you, do you call it anything right now? I called it heaven at okay. the beginning. I think that it was a heaven. I think there's more than one heaven. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
So in this layer of heaven, did you get the sense that you were there almost just like taking it in? Or did you get the sense that you were like looking for something or wondering if you should stay there or looking for a sign of anything? Or was it just like pure openness, just like, wow, look at all this. Oh, look at that person. Was there anything like cognitively for you where you felt like you were directing it or was it just totally open happening to you? It was totally open happening to me. I had okay. no, int- I had no thoughts about why I had no questions. I just was part of it. I was one with it. I was yeah. just experiencing it. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. then when you came back, so this angel, this young woman is bringing you back. She's bringing me back. And then they don't know what happened. They said it was a miracle. They said all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the machines. They, so apparently my children were there at that time. Um, they brought him in to say goodbye to me, um, which makes sense now why Connor's presence was, was so, you know, thick at that moment. Yeah. Um, and they, the, the doctors and the nurses, which I'm so grateful as well, I've become good friends with. And a couple of the nurses are, were friends of mine that I found out were there as well, were, that were helping keep me alive. Oh my gosh, wow. So I hear from their side as well, because I couldn't just let this go. I had to know every single little detail. I mean, I had them print out the entire report and went through it because I wanted to know everything. I wanted to piece this all together. So. I, I was, my numbers were good. Uh, my oxygen levels, the, you know, my husband could tell you more about it. I will say that this was a harder experience on the people in the room than it was on me because what I experienced was a deep sleep and an amazing vacation in the most beautiful place you could ever imagine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, does that just make you feel good when you think of someone in a coma? Yes. <laughs> it's it like, thing. <laughs> yeah. It's just like one less thing to grieve about, you know? Yeah. It, this person is at least is like having an experience is my belief, you know, oh. and hear your story. It's just like, I love it because it affirms what I hope. Yes. It's, it is the truth. And, and I don't say truth, like all lightly. I mean, it is my truth. It happened and this is what happens. So, you know, the world will try to strip you of that when you experience something like this. Uh, you, the, the conditions of the world and people will try to come at you like, oh, no, you were just medicated. Yeah. No, it was just the paralytics or no. And, you know, that's a hard and whole other stage of recovery that you go through as a near-death experience. And I'll get into that. But yeah. so I, I apparently just did a complete 180. I mean, I had these boots on because my, my basis of my feet were, uh, you know, again, my body was in rigor morris. I had lost 38 pounds of muscle. I was frail. My organs were shutting down. I mean, everything you could think of that would take someone to a place of death was happening to me. And they said it was a miracle. They said within hours, all of my numbers went up. The next day they took the, um, the tube out of my throat and I was not only breathing on my own, but I wouldn't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> now 
I will say that what I experienced was not like, you know, I wish this was my story, but I wasn't like Sleeping Beauty where I woke up and I was like, oh, hello, everybody. I love you. No, I woke up like a demon. I um, hallucinated for three days. And when I say hallucinated, I mean hardcore coming off that fentanyl is what I was told. But let me tell you what I think. Yeah, let's I, I had DMT released into my brain because that's released when you die. And if you watch people that take ayahuasca and what happens to them, that's what happened to me. I purged so much shit that I had been through in my life and so much trauma. And I was so sick and I purged and purged and I was seeing like everything I'd ever been through happening. And in my mind, I don't remember that night that I died. So the only thing that made sense to me was that I had gone back out drinking again and blacked out. So I was in this state of fear that, you know, what did I do? And, and who, who all did I let down and who did I hurt? And I could see, you know, people planning out how to murder me. Like it was insane. The trauma I went through during these three days, my tongue fell out on my lap and I was holding it, begging my husband's mom to help me put it back in my mouth. I mean, this was the traumatic piece. I, I mean, they kept trying over and over again to get me to calm down. There was a, there was a police officer in the other room who was getting taken off life support. He was brain dead from a motorcycle accident and his family was all there to take him off life support. And I was screaming so loud in the other room. They said I didn't stop screaming for three days. Oh they, yeah. So the reason I bring that up is because uh, that's just what I believe happens. Um, I worked through a lot of trauma in that three days. And that little angel girl was there the entire time. And she was sitting like on her little knees over in this booth and she would come over. And the only time they said I ever got calm is when I told them she was holding my hand. She never spoke to me. Man. She never spoke to me. She never said a word to me, but she was there to bring me peace and to remind me I was going to be okay. And I, she would come over and she would stand with me and she would just hold my hand. And I would apparently tell people like, she's holding my hand. I'm better now. It, you know, it was just like, she was there to guide me and to bring me comfort. So, um, yeah, three days of absolute what living hell would be like. And I believe that it was a mixture of things, but definitely DMT. If people look into that, they'll understand. And I was moved to another location of the hospital, taken off all meds and for days later transferred to a rehab because I couldn't even lift my arms. I couldn't feed myself. Um, I was having tremors. I was so weak. I couldn't do anything on my own. It was very humbling. You know, people have to wipe your ass. They have to shower you. I had amazing friends that came up and shaved because I was out of control in all areas of my body. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you know that friendship is gold. <laughs> I look like a chia pet down there. <laughs> anyway, the nurses said I was funny at the end. They said, you know, I was, they just couldn't believe it. They were like, you are truly a miracle. And 
So 14 days later, paramedics come in, they go to put me on a gurney and I'm walking or I'm being pushed down the hall and the little girl is standing there. And I said, wait, wait, turn me around. And the paramedic looked at me kind of weird. And I said, turn me around. I have to say goodbye to someone. So they kind of turned the bed sideways in the hall. And she was holding another woman's hand who had an IV, who was on a walk in the hall with a nurse. And she was holding her hand and she waved goodbye to me. And that is when I knew that this was all 100% real. And no longer was I ever gonna allow anyone to make me doubt what I was going through or what I saw or what I experienced. Oh, I, I'm so happy that you yeah. saw that and took that from that. Yeah, and I, was, yeah. And I got into a room and my room start was had the number 13 in it and right outside of my room was the american flag just waving in the wind like my brother was like i'm here i'm oh. here and i met so many beautiful people in this facility that brought me back to life and gave me messages of encouragement and love and I'm forever grateful for all the doctors and nurses. And my, my nurse was Rosa Sloan. So my, my little baby girl, her name's Sloan, Jonna, after John, the fireman. And my brother's middle name was John, too. And oh. yeah, so that's that near-death experience. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, do you get the sense when it was like it was your choice to come back? I have two questions that I don't know if I'll just spend the rest of my life thinking about and like asking other people, you know, on this sort of in this category that whatever category we're in, but like, do you get the sense that when we come down to earth and we're going through life, do you get the sense that there's like checkpoints that we, and I understand you're speaking from your experience and not like the universe, but did you get the sense like you maybe as a soul was like, I'm going to have a checkpoint here to see if I want to get out, a checkpoint here to see if I want to get out, or a checkpoint here to see if I want to get out. Like it's my under, it's my chosen belief is what I'll say there is that we kind of have sometimes when we have like a near-death experience, whether it's legit like yours, full on in the hospital, or just like, whoa, I almost fell out of that moving car and I would have died. That it's like these checkpoints where our soul was like, if our soul was like, I'm ready to leave, they would take that. And maybe you don't have any thoughts on it. Maybe it's just a reaction well, right now. But what do you thought. think on that? <laughs> oh, I want to hear them. <laughs> I think there's definitely checkpoints. I, I, I think that, I think my soul was not, wasn't done. I think my soul also has eyes of the future and that God knows that my soul wasn't done. And so those two things combined, you know, I was, I wasn't done. So my checkpoint, I wasn't checking that checkpoint off, but I think about my brother, you know, my brother was in the prime of his life. Yeah. No, my brother struggled with some hard things. And I think his soul knew he was done. You know, I think his checkpoint, he'd had a lot of checkpoints in his life too. We both did. Okay. But I, 
I think also he knew coming back, there was going to be so much pain and sorrow maybe possibly. So I I don't know if I answered that correctly, but Mm -hmm. I think it might, you know, if you want to get your ego involved, we could dissect this for hours. But if I'm just talking straight from my soul, sitting with this right now, my I wanted to I wanted to die those my my soul that second time in the blackout wanted to be gone you know that was the checkpoint for me that's my that was my ego but my soul my soul knew all three of these times mm-hmm. that I want needed to come back does that make it does that answer what you're saying yeah 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 it does like are you wondering if choice yeah, well, you had mentioned a choice. And, and I'd imagine from the human's perspective, it's almost like you have that conscious mind, that ego, that's like, yes or no, I'm ready or I'm not, for whatever reason. And then you yeah. have like your soul self that kind of has this like higher knowing of like your potential, what you're going to really want to do. You know, even if it is like hard for whatever reason, if your soul is like, I'm up to this, or if your soul is like, you know, the things I came here to do are actually pretty done yeah it definitely definitely my soul always knew that's why that first time it replayed all the people I needed to come back for including myself that's why you know the second time I don't have enough to say because I was in a blackout but Mm -hmm. the third time as soon as they said Connor I was I was I was out like my soul knew there was more to be done okay okay And then did you, how would you, because then you had a past life regression, correct? Yeah, this is where it gets real. And I am so excited to see like the similarities, the differences, just more about that experience for you. So there was no similarities, um, which is, I, what my past life regression was amazing, um, but also really really sad. Um, but I, you know, I died. I, I was, um, I could see detail. Like I can't even describe, like I could see the actual pattern in the lace of the curtains on the windows in the room where I was giving birth and I didn't have on a top. My chest was sweaty. My name was Mercy. I had a man next to me named John, um, who was my husband. And I was giving birth and it was like in the olden days, like stagecoach days. And I knew I was going to die. I couldn't breathe. My chest couldn't breathe. Just like when I have asthma. No. Um, And I got to go through a death, but I wouldn't let myself die until I got to see my son come out. And they held him up to me and I just was bawling in this experience crying because I knew like he was okay and he was beautiful, but I was, I was leaving. And when, and then I died and I was, I was in, and let me tell you, Mandy, if you know Mandy, I don't talk about space and shit. That stuff's all way over my head. (laughs) (laughs) So 
shit was coming out of my mouth that was like not me like i was describing the solar system and the universe and being with light beings and i was part of this beautiful galaxy and i was describing like this these th they I, they were three light beings and i asked them who are you and they said we are the three we are the three and there's meaning behind that if you look it up but it, it was so different it was i was one then with the universe as where before which i think there's different dimensions i think i was on that first dimension with my brother that earthly more closer to home dimension and this one i was way advanced and i was in this i was one with the universe yeah what is it we are the three what is that like it's the three three the three the three main archangels that they they believe you meet i'm gonna send you it it's amazing yeah do it who is I, it is it michael you know what i remember and i should yeah, yeah. It's not important. They don't, I think that the names are important to us, not necessarily them. But they were beautiful. And I will tell you, I, I did some research and found, Shannon and I found that some astronauts described almost the exact same things that they saw when they went to space, these light beings. And, you know, they talk about these light beings in, in uh, the Bible and all over the place, these, these thing, lights that come down. But you know, I will say that after my near-death experience, I 100%, just like Nicolas Cage in his movie, there are angels walking our earth. Uh, that okay. little girl, that little girl in that hospital was real. And I've heard from a lot of people that worked at that hospital that they see angels all the time. Really? Wow. Mm -hmm. That is great. Yeah. So, so another question I have that if you think of... If, and I, this is kind of a spontaneous question, but when you think of who you were, right, you were 18, asthma attack, first, first near-death experience, to, to you, Milton's trying to get in the room. He's such a diva. Um, uh -huh. you, I don't know if you can hear him whining. But then you come to like who you are today. And there's obviously you could write books about like your experiences, right? Like spiritually, not spiritually about how you got formed today. But when you think of like the biggest differences in Mandy, like spiritually, how you see the world and how we see the world on a spiritual level influences how we make decisions. Like, does anything stand out to you as like, I used to be like this and now I'm totally like this. And of course it used to be atheist. Now you believe in God and you have a relationship with God, universe, all of that. But like, what has that, I guess what I'm asking is what has that given you? Like, gosh, it's given me everything. It's given me life. Um, it's given me the ability to trust my soul with, everything every ounce of my being and it's given me the gift of self there's no one could ever ever take away my my self-love or my self-worth or my purpose because i am so true to it there's no doubt there yeah. it has just love for the world love for myself love for being present, I, I, you know, I made a little list of the things. I was like, <clears throat> it's given me 
to be present. It's given me the ability to be present. It's given me the ability to not, because I don't live in fear. When you have fear and worry, you're not present. Oh my gosh. You know, and so I, if your death, there's nothing to fear. <sighs> yeah. It's given me the ability to be so fucking mindful and grateful for being mindful. And I will tell you, that didn't come easy. That was the gift of the trauma too. And, and the gift of all of this trauma was that, you know, I couldn't even lift my hands. I had to connect my mind, body, and soul just to like lift up this little bottle of essential oils. Like it was like lifting a 50 pound or 500,000 pound train, like, it gave me the gifts and the ability to be present and smell the roses as cliche as that shit sounds. You know, I had to, in recovery, I had to do everything slower. And so I think it advanced and shifted my mind. I mean, it gave me the gift and the, the trust within myself to embrace abilities of speaking with people that have passed on to another dimension and trust it and to yes. trust that without the world being able to take that from me because they say it's evil or weird because it doesn't matter anymore. It's given me like the all knowing that I can trust everything about myself. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know? And then on a more earthly level, it's given me the reminder of self care. It's given me the reminder that you never know when your last moment is. I was asleep for God's sakes when this happened to me. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it gave me, um, you know it just you know sometimes i wish i could go back it was easier there yeah you know so some but then the gift that i got was realizing i can get that here on earth mm. yeah and then i'm gonna really make this weird oh please do that's why we're here our thoughts <laughs> So powerful. Okay. So I had an epiphany this morning that our, I believe that our thoughts not only create our life, but our thoughts create our death. And when I say that, I believe that that first level that I went to when I died was the subconscious heaven I had created. Okay. So I've heard that where it's like, if in that people see what they believe they're going to see. Everything that would comfort you to make you not scared, to make you know yeah. that then you keep advancing. And yeah. I think then in that near death, that past life regression, I was way more advanced than that first dimension of just comfort and love. I was in like, I was, I was with God. I was with the source. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Okay, so then this, and this question is also spontaneous, so take a second to think about it, or it's okay if you're like, I don't have an answer, but my, my, my personal secret, like, one of my life goals is to figure out before I die how to ascend consciously. Like, I want to be able to be, like, 105 and be like, I'm ready to go. And not necessarily like, I'm ready to go, I'm going to go tonight. But like, having dialogue with my soul, with my guides to be like, I'm ready to go. 
Okay. Whenever. And then like doing a meditation before bed or whatever, like, could I, because I had a past, past life regression, but I think it was a future life. This is fucking wild. I'm still trying to figure it out, but that was actually part of it was like, you got ready to die and then you left your body and there was like a specific way to do it. I was on a different planet. I'll be talking about this in future episode, but I'm still trying to process it. I don't get all excited. What are your thoughts on that? Tell me more. So I didn't have to think about this stuff because it just, it just comes to me and I just say it. That's another gift that I've been given is like, I, I just trust it. So I'm like, say it. And yes, 100% you can do that and you will do that. And guess what? You don't even quit thinking about it because it's just going to be, it's not something you have to train yourself to do. It's something that's going to happen. It happens. It's something is telling me to tell you that it's going, that it'll be just, it will be that way. Don't, you don't have to train yourself for it. Wow. Yeah. And I will say that this is really important before we forget. And I know that you had like questions for me. I'm so sorry if I'm throwing this off, but I get, Oh my God, we've, we've literally covered all of them. Okay. Well, we have to talk about resistance. Okay. Because I was like, fuck you, God, you want to like strike me down and take my life when I'm 18. Yeah, whatever. And then I'm like, oh, fuck you. I'm going to drink myself to death because you hate me. I hate myself, you know? And God's like, God, you are so stubborn. I'm going to keep striking your ass down. You know, he keeps giving me this freaking shit. And I'm like, I'm just fighting him. I'm like resisting him. I'm resisting and I'm resisting. And so he's like, she's so stubborn that I got to get real freaking like dramatic with this chick (laughs) so he has to get dramatic and I get struck down again for the third time and and you know I always say there's a lesson and a lesson and everything and when you're in the shit storm it sure doesn't feel like it people but I'm telling you throw your hands up and say what are you teaching me and you will be taught something so beautiful and so yeah you know, resistance, I'm telling you people, if you're resisting your purpose, if you're resisting a calling, if you're resisting a message, trust yourself, trust it. Because if you don't, you're going to have to go through some serious shit storms like I did to get to where I'm at. Because I wouldn't listen. I kept letting my ego run my life. Yes. And I even, I think about what you just talked about there. And I have never attached me personally, the word resistant to it. And that feels like the perfect word for that. And one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why I started the podcast about past life regression and all of that was like this thought of, it is my belief because it's my experience that we can hear other people's stories, whether it's a past life regression, near death experience, or your trip to the grocery store yesterday. Yeah. Um, we can, if we, if we can get out of our own way, we can, we can learn lessons like that and it can be more pleasant and interesting and a, yeah. a source of curiosity and joy and like, Oh, there's some growth here. And of course, negative emotions, grief, sorrow, pain, Mm -hmm. suffering, all of that. But if there's this overwhelming underneath feeling of like, this is all for me, I just have to, like you said, 
figure out what's the lesson here? What can yeah. I take from this? Um, and then we can just suffer less. And Absolutely. that was actually like the, the way I was going to land this plane was like, and everything that you've been through, like, what's the one thing you want people to take away? And I love that answer, but I'll ask that question again. If there's something else that you want to leave the listeners with that you really took to heart and learned and want other people to learn in an easier way. Is there anything else that sticks out? I'm well, sure. <laughs> it, it always reverts back to the very first episode and the whole purpose of sense of soul and my podcast and my business. And that is self-love trusting yourself, trusting your gut, your intuition, because once you do that, you're, once you trust your every ounce of being in, in this little area right here and, and you trust your experiences, you're like, you're superhuman. You're, you're, you're so aligned with God when you, when you have that. You know, it always goes back to self-love for me because this experience, these experiences gave me wholeness. They gave me so much trust in myself. And when you love and truly trust yourself, there's no resistance. Life is so beautiful and everything around you is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, to me, I, I just, I love that. And I love hearing your version of what self-love is, you know, like that acceptance, knowing your truth and that when you have that, no one can take it from you because that, that to me is just like a, the description of self-love, right? Like in the world of social media and diet culture and all that, a lot of times like self-love, especially for women is like, love your cellulite. And it's like, it's not about loving your cellulite. It's about knowing that it doesn't fucking matter. Like it, yeah. this is not a problem. Yeah. It's just like the way your physical form looks. And that's just like, it doesn't matter. Like the more but, we, what else? We love what us. Else? Yeah. It's loving everything about myself, loving the drunk that I was, the loving, the freaking knotted haired, non-showered. My past doesn't define me, but I love every fucking thing about that person that I even was. It's about having the vulnerability. You know how you get vulnerable? You get vulnerable because you love every fucking thing about yourself. So you don't care that the whole freaking world knows. You don't care. You don't care about sharing it because you're freaking proud of it. And you're like, that, that's just yeah. me. Yeah. You know, and then, and then, you know, this whole thing spun me into a crazy spiritual awakening, which people can listen to our podcast on the spiritual awakening piece. Yeah. This wasn't a choice for me. I got flung like fast forwarded into this crazy spiritual awakening. And this spiritual awakening really was difficult because you, everything you've ever been taught in the world, it, you're questioning and you're like, oh my God, like, no, I want to be normal, but you can't be ever again. And so that trust and that self-love again that I was given helped me get through that because I knew I wasn't crazy. I'm sick of the world telling us we're crazy. We are not crazy. Just because we think different, think weirder, think out of the box, we are not crazy. Yes. 
Yeah. Fucking right. That's where we're going to end this bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, Mandy, thank you so much for this conversation. This was amazing. I could talk to you all day. I had like 50,000 questions that I was like, stay on task. Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. You know what? uh, There's nothing to fear. We never die. We never die. We're forever. Uh, Ain't no getting rid of me. (laughs) My inner forever and we're forever and there's nothing to fear and just freaking love yourselves. And I love you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Right back at you. Okay. So where can people find you? You're on Instagram. I don't know if you're on Facebook. so, So tell me where they can find you and um, what podcast episode specifically, the one that you talk about your near-death experience on your yeah, podcast? So I wrote about it. I blogged about it. It's on our website, mysenseofsoul.com. I also uh, did an episode on my near-death experiences, and those are on Apple. They're on Podbean. Uh, our podcast name is Sense of Soul. You could even just ask Siri or Alexa, and it'll pull it up. I the show notes, too. Okay, perfect. I also have the news video on YouTube that was about me and the Woodruffs. Yeah. So you can find that on that near-death episode as well. We played a piece of it in there of the 911 calls. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe someday I'll write about it. Thank you so much, Mandy. Yeah, I, I, it was such a pleasure. Thank you for asking me because it feels good to reflect on this. And it, it's gifted me so much. You know, it wasn't all butterflies and roses. You know, it was, it was hard. You know, it was really, it's, there's some trauma there. But I will tell you, I will take it any day because yeah. it, it was beautiful. So thank you for, I woke up this morning and really reflected on all of it and what I'd gone through with my near death. And I I love reflecting on it. It was beautiful. So thank you for that. And there it is. That is episode number 25. Thank you so much, Mandy, for joining me. And thank you all so much for being in my orbit, listening to this podcast. I really, really appreciate it. And as you know, my favorite part of these conversations is talking to you about it. I'd love to hear your reactions, your questions, anything that came up about all of this, about Mandy's experience with near death, or if you've had an experience with near death, let me know over on Instagram at pastlives.tourguide. Like I said in the interview, the Sense of Soul podcast and their website, it's all linked in the show notes and you can see that. So if you click for more information on the episode, you'll be able to just click a link from the Uh, podcast app that you're listening in. So if you liked this, again, subscribe, rate, review, maybe share it with your friend. I really, really appreciate it. Whatever you do, thank you so much for listening and being open to the power of your past lives and all our eternal soul experiences while we walk this 3D earth together. Take anything from this episode that makes you feel better and just leave the rest.